Hi, I'm Gracie Gold, and you're listening to This Week in Skating. Welcome to our podcast. I'm Daphne. And I'm Gina. And this is This Week in Skating. Out of Shape, Worthless Loser, a memoir from two-time U.S. champion and Olympic bronze medalist Gracie Gold hit bookshelves today, February 6th. We are so honored to have Gracie with us to talk about her memoir. Before we begin our conversation, Gracie cautions readers in her author's notes that her book may be hard to read and to proceed with caution care, and self-compassion, we are just going to extend that to our listeners. Whatever comes up in conversation today may be difficult to hear. And with that, we would like to welcome Gracie to this week in skating. Welcome, Gracie. Hi, Gracie. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. It's been a busy day for you. Congratulations. First off, you're an author. I know. It's so crazy. I... Doesn't even seem real yet, but yeah, it's been a crazy day, but like a great one so far. Yeah, talk about some of the appearances you've made so far today. Um, So, I mean, started with the Today Show with Savannah, which was so great. Um, And then we've been to Elle and then I've had, this is, uh, I did my Reddit AMA, have an Instagram Live later, um, had another Zoom talking to you guys, have ABC later have dinner, have a launch after party. Um, Yeah, we're, we're about halfway through. Excellent. Well, we're so grateful that you had the time to be able to chat with us today. We have some questions. Gina and I got the book last Thursday, so we were able to read the entire thing. I'm much more of an audiobook person, so I also have the audiobook so I can listen to it in your voice. Let's kick it off with how does it feel to have a book out right now? It's um I don't even know quite how to feel yet. Uh I think it's exciting. I'm like a little bit nervous, but mostly excited and just kind of weird. I feel like it hasn't hit yet that like today's the day um because we've been working on this for so long, right? And I've been talking about the memoir and hinting at it for so long and you know now I'm like oh it's really it's happening like right now <laughs> like today's the day um but it feels great so far are you nervous at all about how it's going to be received and have you heard from anyone that's read the book yet uh I mean I'm a little bit nervous on how it's going to be received just because I want everybody to like me all the time <laughs> And like everything that I do, and I would like everything just to be perfect all the time, right? Um, so yes, but also I, from the people close to me that have read it, you know, they loved it. And I, you know, me and um, uh, my ghostwriters, Karen um, Krause, it was just such an awesome experience. And of the things I've heard so far have been really, really positive, which is, you know, obviously been great. Um, so I'm just excited to see over, you know, like the next week or two, uh, how it does. Can you talk a little bit about the process for writing this book? We saw Karen at a couple of events with 
you know, over the years, I think maybe just witnessing or seeing you at competitions, but can you talk about how the whole process came together? Yeah, so I didn't know anything really about writing a book um, or the publishing world. And there's still some things that I am sure I'm a little bit vague on. But from my, you know, once we got to the actual writing part, a lot of it was Karen listening to me uh, ramble um, on the phone. And there were some chapters that I was... um, that I wrote and then she, like I wrote them myself and she just did more of the editing. Um, and some she, I would like, I was like, I need you to help me sum up my childhood um, into a way that makes sense because I would just keep talking for hours and hours and hours. And yeah, it just started with kind of getting a timeline and then talking about specific stories. And she interviewed a lot of the people in my life and would interview them several times. And she, you know, Karen came to skating events and we talked about it. Um, And so doing it verbally was helpful for me because I'm a big talker. And yeah, then uh, I think this spring is when we started, kind of got the first, second, third manuscript together in kind of the layout that we had envisioned. And then the editing process began, Um, which was not quite as fun (laughs) um, as me just talking about life and sharing funny stories. Um, So that, yeah, and then it was time to you know at some point we had to like nail down a title and you know the subtitle or text probably took us the longest um to decide on um it was hard to find something that was I I didn't want anything too cringy like one that was um in the running for way longer than I wanted was like my life on edge or no sorry it was my life um on ice and on edge. And I was like, that is super corny and like, not for me. Um, uh, chat GBT was entirely unhelpful with coming up with one. Um, but yeah, that took a long time. And then you shoot the cover and pick that. And there's so many options for like fonts and stuff. So, I mean, in my inbox, they were like, here are some options. And, you know, they're like, this one's in a 12th point font but this one's 14 so like what are your thoughts and I was like wow they uh these kind of look exactly the same um <laughs> so yeah there's all of that stuff that I didn't think about and writing the dedication and acknowledgments um you know I thought kind of once we got the first manuscript we were like almost done <laughs> and it was like oh no, no no not even close and then recording the audiobook was really really fun I have listen to several books like Adam Rippon's. I find when you hear the story in the person's own voice, it's incredibly impactful, even more so than reading the book. Hearing it, I think, really solidifies it. Yeah, I want to go back and listen to your audio book. I mean, we just read the book, but now I want to go back and listen to you tell the story. Yeah, it was, imp- I mean, I really wanted to record the audiobook because one, what a novelty experience. <laughs> I was like, when am I going to get to record? When they asked, they're like, would you like to do it yourself? It just was no question to me for a variety of reasons. And also I wanted to tell it, you know, like in my like in my voice and how I might phrase it. I will say recording an audiobook does make you feel like you've never pronounced a word correctly in your life. Um that is there there are days that I just would have to take a break um you know I could not there's one day that we had to 
went to break like an hour and a half early for like lunch break because I could not say um, exasperated. Oh, even now I have okay. anxiety doing it because <laughs> I just, I mean, it was hilarious, but I was like, guys, I need to pause or something because I kept saying like exasperated. Oh, like it was so bad. They're, they're like, we can't even edit this. Honestly, Gracie, it just is like, you're saying a new word that has been made up. Um, and, um, yeah, I also didn't realize that instead of saying our, like, oh, you are, I just say our, oh, like this is, you know, this is our family. Um, but I was like, oh, I, we're just gonna have to say that all the way through. I was like, there's no way I can say our for the entire like 300 pages. <laughs> But yeah, recording was awesome. The studio was great. Um, I drank more hot tea and had more Ricolas that week than I've had in my entire life. But it was so awesome. Um, so whoever out there that got the audiobook, I hope you enjoy. Yeah, I'm again, I want to listen to you telling your own story and your own voice. And I know exactly <laughs> what you mean by like you said, exasperate. You can, couldn't say that word. There are words that I cannot say when we do this podcast every week and if we do more than one podcast a day it's sometimes yeah it doesn't come out great yeah you can edit it though and that's the power of doing something that's audio because you can chop out those little things here and there that need to be taken out or revised and that it's kind of powerful to be able to do that for good (laughs) for good was Carly involved at all in the process? Um, absolutely. I mean, you know, there's a reason why of the two dedications, you know, one went just directly uh, to her because she really is right. Like my better half and um, really every other way, but specifically skating. And even then there were things that she was remarkably better <laughs> at um, like spread eagles, not me, Carly all day, all day. Um, so I wanted her to be heavily involved, right? Because it wasn't just my story. It was our story in so many ways. Um, and you know, I was like, oh, there's not a world. I was like, Carly has to approve it and has to like it. Um, right. Cause in some ways, like this book is for the world, but really it's like in a lot of ways, like just for Carly, um, that I like wrote our story and, yeah, why uh yeah, she was added to like our Google Doc back in probably June, maybe May, um, uh, with the editing, because I just wanted her opinion on everything. And cause if she didn't like it, I didn't like it. Did you ever with the process being so long, did you ever like say, Hey, let's hold off. Let's maybe this is not the right time to release this book? I mean, at that point we were already, you know, we were already in deep waters. <laughs> so um you know, it was, at so, yeah, I mean, at some point, it was, uh, even if I'd wanted to back out, I wasn't sure how I'd even go about doing that. And um, no, I mean, I the long process was fine by me, like slow and steady. And I wanted everything to be, you know, as correct or as perfect as I feel like we could feasibly get to. Um, and yeah, I mean, again, at, at some point, we were in it. <laughs> now, what made you decide to write a book have you been thinking about this for a while or is it something that you just decided I'm gonna do this because I need this story needs to be out there um a little bit of both I guess in 
so I've been at, like asked this before and I have struggled with finding a way that, you know, I, I don't want to come off like what, like the Dos Equis guy that's like, I'm the most interesting man in the world. <laughs> but in some ways, um, I think one point, like one thing that solidified it is um, that I've kind of talked about was that I'm kind of like this poster child for mental health, like, or mental illness rather in skating. And that was always one of the things like when I kind of quote unquote, like came out with my story that I thought was odd is that they're like, wow, it's so brave for talking about an eating disorder. And I felt like in Devil Wears Prada, when Meryl Streep's like, oh, florals for spring, like groundbreaking. I kind of felt that way. Like, oh, I, why is everyone acting like this is somehow unique to me or like I'm the first one that this has happened to and you know um I also didn't necessarily feel brave for talking about it because I was just you know once you go to rehab right and fall off the face of the earth for like 90 days to me they're like what made you want to share your story I'm like well because you guys asked where I went for 90 days Mm -hmm. and why I just like fell off the face of the earth and I would other people just lie I don't know this like that was crazy to me and I just started talking about it. And I was like, oh, we must normalize this. Cause again, the concept of eating disorders in certain sports, skating being one of them, that's like heavily on the aesthetics, one that has like a lot of women in it, lightweight body sports, like long distance running, um, pole vault, you know, um, the concept of having like using food as a coping mechanism is not, I don't think revolutionary or like groundbreaking or unique to me. And I just always thought it was strange that in skating, I mean, I talk about skating specifically because it's the the sport I know. I'm like, oh, why don't we just talk about how this might be a recipe for using for like developing disordered eating? Um, Just being like anyone that kind of grew up in the 2000s, right? When Jessica Simpson was like considered obese, quote unquote, like, oh, do you think that maybe there's a generation like, I mean, one of like all of them that might have struggles with food, but that's like one where I was like, oh, let's like share the story. And also uh, rehab was kind of a wild experience. Um, it was not the Malibu uh, rehab that I, not like I thought it'd be a vacation by, by any means, but it just was a very interesting and novelty and I mean, life-changing. But when I was there, I was like, oh, this is a really interesting experience. <laughs> Um, so all of those things kind of led to it coming to fruition and, you know, the publishers and literary agents said like, oh, we think you have like a really good story here. And I thought, let's do it. (laughs) Let's write a book. Yeah. And I think with writing the book, you're getting to tell the story instead of having to tell your story through like media and through articles and stuff. You were the one who put in the words for this book. I mean, yes, you were working with Karen, but you controlled what you wanted put out there. Yeah, the narrative. Yeah, and having the narrative, like, not really being, con- like, it's it's everything around skating, right? Like, mm-hmm. I've said, like, hundreds of times now. Um, but yeah, I was like, this is not a book about skating. Um, and I feel like a lot of those interviews or previous ones I did, you know, they somehow tied back into skating like they were all skating based if they were sports reporters and um it was yeah nice to just be able to tell my story the way that I wanted to in the order that I wanted to um and yeah just like share my truth with the world well 
speaking of your book, we're going to dive in a little bit to some of the things that you talk about. But we'll let our listeners know right now, we are not going to discuss everything that's in this book. You need to go out and get the book and read it. Yes. But we are going to touch on some of the subjects because they're important subjects, things that need to be, as Gina and I often say, amplified um, so that people will know and change can be made going forward. Having only a few days to read this book, there were things that I took from it that affected me. But I think we will start with nutrition and body issues. Um, in the book, you were talking about your eating disorder and eating an apple or a tomato, or how do you think skating can better confront these nutritional issues? Yeah. I mean, I talked with, I mean, I talk in my book a lot about like my eating disorder because it's, um, you know, it's, it's been like one of the bigger struggles and I, you know, Ray kind of talk about how you can cut out heroin, cut out crystal, like, but with food, it's, it's like, you have to manage this addiction because eating disorders are like in a lot of spheres, like classified as an addiction and the body dysmorphia has probably been the toughest on my mental health and made me feel the most crazy. Cause there were times that I felt, um, like really fit or good about myself, but, you know, I was told like, um, you should lose weight or, um, and I was like, oh, I, but I thought I was like doing good. <laughs> um, you know, and that I was like thin and then other times that I, and also I think taking the shame out of it. Cause that was like the big one for me. Um, and I think that just comes with the territory of disordered eating, but the way that I was supposed to feel shame and that how I was spoken to was like, you should be ashamed that you are skating like at this size or that, you know, you've like let yourself go because right in society, when you are fat, it's like, um, it's associated with all of these like personality traits, right. That you don't have self-discipline and that you're lazy and, um, you know, you don't care about yourself and like all of these things that are just not like innately true. Um, and then, you know, if you're thin, you're like dedicated. Like I even felt a little bit more elitist than, um, actually, I mean, this probably got really hot take, so you, you can feel free to cut this out. But, um, in some ways I felt, um, and in other like recovering, like people with eating disorders, like I felt better than, um, bulimics because I felt like I had like more self-control, um, which is like so sick, <laughs> um, super dark, but, um, I think the shame that I felt of like, oh, I don't want it enough. Cause if I wanted it, like it being like winning or like being great at skating, if I wanted it enough, then I wouldn't have like eaten this extra stuff. And then it was this like personality defect if I put on weight or wasn't lean enough, instead of having it just be, you know, it is like, it's a lean body sport and like a lightweight body sport. Like this, like these concepts are not entirely inaccurate is it is easier to lift yourself and carry yourself across the ice for four minutes. Um, if you have great stamina and are like on the lighter side, it's not just about being like a power athlete. Um, but at some point that's like untrue. So like when my thinking was really dark, right. It was, um, oh, you know, if I weigh under 120 pounds, 
than like all metal at this event as if like right like just screw all of my other training <laughs> as if it had nothing to do with anything else but I mean that was it was at such a good core of my being and I thought um you know oh if I can train I train this whole day without eating like that somehow made me like a better athlete than my my other competitors I somehow was like better than them and that's crazy and insane to say out loud but I think the shame of it because I wouldn't have um a you know I think someone says like I think how it started like the first um like my first coach that actually like spoke to me about the concept of like you know we should like eat healthily and that there is a certain like weight and like fitness level that will make skating easier when it was brought to me like that kind of like the first early it was less painful because I was like oh no that makes sense like it'll just be easier it wasn't like you can't do a triple lutz if you weigh over 120 pounds crazy or it's like you'll never go you know like you're gonna bomb nationals if you're over 120 something like that kind of thinking versus oh it'll just be easier to do your lutz in the second half if we were like if we were more fit and somehow balancing the um lighter weight but still maintaining strength um but yeah, it was the shame of it. And then I felt like a bad athlete and a bad person and that I should be like embarrassed um, to like be in the rank. And that, you know, I've had people or coaches be like, you're the biggest one here, like look around. And I was like, yeah, no, so I'm going to go. <laughs> I was like, you're not training today, uh, me. Um, but just like living in that like kind of shame was the really, really toxic part. You know, if you want to approach an athlete about like working out more or like eating cleaner. Yeah. Because you know what, if you probably shouldn't just the human body, like you probably shouldn't live on like bread and cake exclusively. I think that's literally how you get scurvy, but, um, you know, there's a conversation between saying like, Oh, you're, you know, like you're a bad athlete if you eat this versus, Oh, maybe your body would function better if you like also had fruit and vegetables. Yeah. And then it's not like you'd be a better person right. if you ate fruits and vegetables, like what's wrong with you? Like, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's all about the delivery yeah. of how you approach it. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah. And one, yeah. One insinuates that I am a loser, that right. I'm an out of shape, worthless loser, if you will. And one is just like, kind of like a technical correction. Yeah. yeah. Now, do, did you work with a nutritionist when you were competing or should you know, elite skaters have nutritionists as a part of their team? Um, I think that you have to get the right nutritionist. So some that are, um, some I really liked working with. I worked with them like off and on. Um, obviously when I was like deep in the throes of my eating disorder, I like, wasn't going to like tell a nutritionist, mm -hmm. um, for obvious reasons. Um, that's part of like addict core is like, hiding it um and but I mean I think that that can be like a really important tool I think that some are I mean I think in some level it has to be like sports specific um and also you specific I think it's like working with a therapist like it works for a lot of people for a lot of reasons um but that not every therapist is going to suit you and your needs and like that's okay it's the same with coaches that's fine um so I think you know, you might have to, I don't want to say shop around, but, um, you know, it's okay to try a couple different ones, but it is a powerful tool. I mean, it's like a job 
that is employed in all the NGBs and the USOC uh, for a reason. So a big part of your book, too, is also the 2016 World Championships. Um, and I actually wrote down a couple of different things from your book in my, put some notes down. You had mentioned it was the competition where Gracie Gold, as the world knew her, ceased to exist. Um, and then, of course, some things that really struck out to, you know, really made me upset reading it was hearing people tell you that you just needed to snap out of it and get over the fact that you were fourth at those world championships. Um, and, you know, we were at Worlds, um, both Daphne and I, and we, you know, knew that, you know, even the following after Worlds, that you were not just going to get over this, that there there was a lot still going on with you. Um, and so this one part of your book where you said after advocating for a break, you really like no one listened and that you you felt that it would be better off if you hurt yourself like had a physical injury instead of taking like a mental break. That just really like got to me because I was like, shouldn't skaters just be allowed to take a mental break? Like I can't do this anymore. I just need to work on myself. I mean, how do you think skating can prioritize mental health a little bit better than we maybe are right now because I know there are skaters that are struggling with that and we just seem to kind of be focused on what they can do out on the ice instead of the person themselves so is there a way that skating can do a better job of you know prioritizing athletes mental health I mean, I think the first step is just like, right, like talking about it. Um, But I also kind of, yeah, the part where I was like, oh, wow, an injury would be like, like, I wish I broke my foot now, <laughs> like instead of like when I had before that final. Um, um, Because I guess I was like, wait, so I want to like take a break from skating, like, because I'm sad. Um, Because, you know, I got fourth. Um. I don't, it just, and like at that time I was and I mean, look, when a lot of people step away from the sport, like they don't always come back. So there is like a thing, most actually don't. So there's this kind of concept, or at least I felt it that I didn't think that you could, like once you left the grind, you know, you couldn't get back on and, you know, it was, and I was like, well, I don't want to quit. You know, I just like wish things were different, but I also at that time also was struggling with how down I was because part of me as well was like it just I was like Gracie like you're fourth you've been historically fourth many times like it just wasn't I was like why is this so traumatic um and I still it's still probably one of my like least favorite topics to talk about like I just try to like um I just like wish that it literally probably would have gone any other way um and yeah, I just like couldn't get over it. Um, and then I was also mad at myself because I was like, why can't you get over this? Um, but yeah, being told um, there, I mean, there's nothing like being a woman and being told that like you're being dramatic or like, why can't like just like get over it? Like your feelings are making other people uncomfortable was kind of the thing. And there's something to that. Like it, there is nothing that like seems to make people more uncomfortable than somebody who is simply just sad. And um, 
that the fix, like that there isn't just like an immediate fix. Um, and to be fair, some of the people in my life that, you know, were continuing to push me um, to skate and that said things, you know, they were trying, they, they were, they genuinely were like trying to help. They were so upset with how upset I was that they kind of wanted to fix it in like any way that I can. And they're like, if we, if you just get back out there, like if you just have even some small W's, um, you know, build momentum. It's like what my mom was said growing up, like momentum, Gracie. Cause she was like, when I have momentum, it'll just keep going sometimes problematically. So my mom's like to sometimes like starting is the hardest part, but even at a young age, I can still hear like momentum <laughs> to get momentum. Um, that was more said actually off the ice probably than on like the concept of like math homework. She's like, we have to start Gracie. Um, but you know, that was, and I can like appreciate that now that like, I knew that their intent was like to be helpful. And then that was tough because I was like, wow, I know that they're really trying their best and like their best just really sucks right now. Um, and like, I'm not, um, I was like, that's a tough one. Uh, it, I mean, again, first off, like just talking about it, I think is a good start. And, um, but yeah, the more that people were like, essentially like, just get over it or the amount of people that told me, well, do you know how many people would be like grateful to be fourth? Um, Cause right. It's that concept that like, you don't like always have, you don't have to be grateful that it isn't worse. I think that's like, um, you know, that was something that I kind of like learned in treatment a little bit. And there are like lots of like quotes and literature about it, but it is that concept of like, when people are like, oh, well, you could be homeless. And it's like, yeah, no, I know that it could be worse, but I hate it right now. <laughs> like, I don't want it to be worse. And that I don't have to be grateful that like, yeah, I could be um, like homeless and dying and like have no, yes, I could, but like, it still sucks right now. It just like invalidates it. Like, oh, are you going through something really traumatic? Well, it could be worse. So grow up. Um, and that I then struggled, yeah, with feeling like, yeah, as I said, um, kind of dramatic, kind of whiny, but also I was just in so much pain <laughs> that been struggling with that in my own self. Um, and it's not like I was a delight to be around at that time. So at some point, you know, I was, people didn't know how to help me and I didn't know how to help myself. Yeah. You mentioned a couple of times in your book about stuffing things down and that was one of the things that I, when I was reading it in the book, I thought, oh my God, that describes it so well. You're right. Mental health, it needs to be normalized. It needs to be a normal thing for someone to be able to say, you know what? I need to prioritize my mental health, but people have to talk about it. It can't just be this side conversation that's in secret. It's got to be out there. Yeah. And the concept that I was part of like the stigma, like around mental health for a long time. Right. Cause I, um, like an example I use is like, I, my knowledge of mental health or various conditions was like what I read in my health textbook or like, what was, I guess, like what I'd see on a TV, like an alcoholic looks a certain way, like drug addicts, quote unquote, like look a certain way. Um, and again, like, even as society, like we're not ready to talk about like men having eating disorders and like how if you're not, you have to be really skinny for society to be like, oh no, she's sick. But how you can be any size and have disordered eating, like these concepts were foreign to me. 
So at the time I just like my depression was not blue and I didn't cry in the shower and you know, it wasn't, I was apathetic towards everything and everyone. If anything, it was like, I don't even know if it was gray, just like the world kind of felt blurry. Like I kind of talk about the snow globe, like example. Um, and I was a bit abrasive that I wasn't, you know, I don't think that it came across to a lot of people and especially the beginning that what we might be looking at is like was like a severe depressive episode um, because I just um, kind of seems like like the like a B word a little bit and the yeah, the stuffing it down I always thought it was so funny especially like 2013 through like 20 like and even Sochi they're like oh you know she's kind of this like ice princess and she's a little like people thought I was like unfeeling and I was kind of cold and sometimes when I skate I know that I. I got like dead fish a couple of times to describe, which is so weird because um, I was like a deeply feeling person and um, had really big feelings and outbursts. And the only way that I knew how to handle them was just to kind of make this like Gracie Gold facade and just like shove the feelings down because um, nothing makes a lot of society like more uncomfortable than like women with emotions. <laughs> like women with big feelings um right god forbid and like in skating we don't have those on the ice which is one thing yeah like I don't like I do think meltdowns on the ice or like mid-program like are it is a performance but that I feel like bleeds off the ice as well to the point where I was like oh I'm just not allowed to have these anymore and and you know what that's it's not okay any therapist will tell you those are your feelings it's okay to feel them. You're allowed to have them. And I mean, even in the like, uh, kiss and cry, like in the mix zone, um, you know, I saw a mini articles by like various people that, you know, um, I remember the amount of like USA today articles that came out after that one skate America, when I just really kind of said, I was like, in off season, like I was, I was like, I was kind of out of shape. I wasn't really doing anything. AKA I actually was experienced like the onset of a depressive episode, but I didn't even know that at the time. And so I struggled getting back into shape. People were like, it, there were like so many articles. I got asked about that for like the next year and change. Like, wow, you know, we just can't believe that she said that. And I was like, said what? Um, and I just, you know, it's, it's sometimes strange. Like if you have a bad skate, um, you know, in the mix on people will be like, how did it feel out there? And sometimes I just want to say, like, it felt like shit. It felt absolutely horrible. Um, what do you, how do you think it felt? You know, like, um, why are we even, but if you were to, but if I were to say that, you know, you get like crucified, especially even like a few years ago. Um, like, I don't want to say it, not that, like the, the skating tabloids or, you know, there'd be endless articles of like, you know, when I say like, we're not even a trash talking sport. I mean, we you can wipe the ice and it's still kind of directly told you and also indirectly told you like smiles, smiles, everybody Tell them that it was just an honor to be out there. And it's like, yeah, I guess, but also I put a lot of work into qualifying for this event and I put a lot of work into training and it went terribly and I'm really upset and I'm really mad about it. And I don't have to be grateful just to be here. Right. Um, 
that kind of concept. Um, but I mean, I just think like as we continue to break that kind of thing down where people can actually say, um, you know, and for a while you like had to do the mix zone. So you like had to answer those questions or else you were like fined um, and or just like yelled at by like the powers that be. Um, and it's like, sometimes I'm like, oh, I, I don't think that that skater should have to do the mix zone. Yeah. Um, I think that they should go um, and they should just like go into the locker room or the bathroom and cry. Mm-hmm. And let it out. Yeah. yeah. Let it out. And let it out because it's a healthy thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so inhuman to like not do that. <laughs> yeah. It always felt like, oh, yeah, it's just really great to be here as I felt like on literally every jump of my short. Um, But yeah, just like I think just small changes like to start. I don't think I have the answer of like how to change like mental health and Olympic sports. I don't know, but I know what not to do. <laughs> um, Like I wrote a book about it. Sometimes that's the best place to start is what you shouldn't be doing. What's been being done, but shouldn't be done anymore. I think sometimes um, people get caught up in the way things have always been and they don't question, wait, this has always been this way and that's why we do it, but is it the way it should be done? Oh, I mean, I think the phrase, um, this is how we've always done it, is um, just like the worst type of mentality. Cause it's like, I mean, it just, now you're not open to any new ideas. Um, Creativity is stunted and it's like, yeah, okay. This is the way we've always done it. Like what a lame answer. Like, do we want the world to move forward? Um, Like just to not want better. um, I just think is um, it's just the end of all like creative and progressive thought is, well, this is the way we've always done it. And when people say that, I'm immediately like, oh, that's the wrong answer. Mm -hmm. I feel that way, too. Even in day-to-day life, I don't want to hear those words because I'm a creative person. And hearing that just makes me think, okay, you've closed your mind off and you don't want to grow. Yeah, you don't want any change. Yeah. And so the rest of us can't grow. And as like a perfectionist, um, you know, I'm always looking for, and then like, and not always in like the toxic kind of perfectionism, but I'm always like, oh, like what's. I'd love to know the best and like most efficient and like optimal way to do everything all the time. Right. I'm like always, I feel like if you're pursuing the best, that phrase immediately um, just like cuts that. And it's like, Oh, okay, well let's all say the same. Like what? It's easier to continue the course rather than reevaluate and shift because that takes work. And sometimes people are just not willing to put the work in to make things different, even though it's better. And as someone who's like never been relaxed a day in their life and is constantly like, again, like, let's find the best, like, if there's a better way, I want to know the better way immediately. Um, I just don't understand that school of thought. And when it applies to anything related to humanity, I'm like, historic like okay well historically humanity's made a lot of grave errors and just this con well we've always done it this way yeah and how do we know that it's a good way and when it comes to humanity I just feel like we can't think like that um and especially in a sport where I feel like we're just so far behind in terms of like being progressive like what it was to I remember what it was 2015 when women in ice dance could wear pants yes yeah that is (laughs) 
such an upsetting <laughs> fact to me. And I've never, it's like one of my Roman empires because I was talking to, is that that skate America in 2015, um, Isabella Tobias was in the locker before is after the free dance, but, um, I wanted, I don't know if we had a practice, but we were coming and going and I was like, Oh my God, I love your bodysuit. She's like, I know. I'm so glad we can wear pants now. And I said, what, what do you mean? And she's like, what do you mean? And I said, wait, you guys can't wear pants. She said, no, it's finally like, that'll be the last Olympics where like ice dance women couldn't wear pants. And it, I mean, it's like one of my Roman empires. I'm not even kidding. I think about it all the time. And also the recent switch from ladies skating to like women's figure skating. Um, yeah. Like it, it, they don't call it ladies hockey. Do you know what I mean? Right, um, right. It's like, it's one of those things I didn't even think about, but I'm like, Oh, we're so far. We're, Oh yeah. Um, yeah. That, I mean, just in like a sport where, yeah, again, like we're so far behind in a lot of ways. Cause we were just so the word that they like to use was like traditional, I feel like, and I'm like, no, we were stagnant. We were uninspired. <laughs> like we, this is the way it's always been. We're traditional. I'm like, yuck. Nobody yeah, wants that yeah. anymore. <laughs> we need to be innovative. We, oh, yeah. we need to be creative. We need to be looking for ways to grow and make the sport more accessible and interesting in the right ways. And like, and for like a sport that you like requires creativity and has so many fascinating people in it. Mm -hmm. I sometimes remember this like disconnect of feeling like it was a while ago, but someone was talking there like, oh, well, like a lot of like the viewers of figure skating are like more like old school Republicans, like Midwest. And I was like, well, are why they? do they watch skating then? Yeah. I was like, none of us are like that. Um, yeah. That's like, I just remember feeling, oh, that was so weird to me. And I was like, oh, everyone's like, like all the athletes are like young, cool. It's a creative sport again <laughs> with like really wild and interesting people in it. And just to yet then be in this culture that like favors tradition. I'm like, what's, we have to bridge this gap. We should have bridged this gap 20 years ago. And so, but again, I just think like having conversations and talking about it um, is the start. I mean, where else do you start? Um just to move it forward, even baby steps at this point, I think are like going to be steps in the right direction. Yeah. You met with Tracy Merrick, who is the new head of U.S. figure skating. You mentioned that in the book. Did you feel after that conversation that you were heard? Um. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and she like took about like 15 minutes in, maybe 20. She like took her lap. She like was like, oh, excuse me, and got her laptop and started like taking notes. And I was like, this is already a great sign. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, this is fantastic. Um, again, I love that we have like a woman CEO. Like, let's, again, let's try some new things. And um, yeah, I definitely came in a little bit strong. <laughs> so, to be fair, I feel like she did handle that pretty well. But I know that I can be very assertive when I have some thoughts and things that I would like to get across. Um, so, I did come in hot and I, was like, yeah, just because you're like a person in power in skating, like, I don't want to feel like I have to walk on eggshells. And then if you ask me a question, um, I will answer it and not play the game because I would like that for the sport of skating. Um, and no, it was great. And I have really high hopes for this. Um, so, I mean, since I started, like, it's almost an entirely different, like, all the employees are different, but I think in a great way. 
um, everyone's like younger and they're way more women and just like cooler people. And, you know, people that I want to talk to people that when I have an idea for something, um, you know, like I had an, I had an idea for adult nationals the other day and I like texted the new high performance director, Justin, and I felt comfortable doing so. And I didn't feel like I would get any backlash or, and I also knew that he would answer my text, which is a great start. Um, and yeah, no, Tracy was really great. And yeah, I do have pretty high hopes for what the new management can do over like the next, um, you know, four to like 10 years or however long they'd like to stay in their jobs. Um, I think that there's a lot of hope there. And she didn't come from a background of skating. So did you like really fill her in on, you know, what the sport is all about? Um, Yes and no, because there's some things that I didn't fill her in a like fill her in necessarily because those are like things that I'd like to change. So I, some of the social etiquette rules maybe are stuff that when I was first entered the high levels were told to me, I was like, okay, well, we're not doing that anymore. <laughs> um, we're going to do something different. Um, but I did tell her in some specific, um, you know, maybe like complaints or issues or things that I thought we could do better. Um, like, and just, um, just like why I, for, I, I only provided context. Like I wasn't, I didn't want to like mansplain skating to her, you know, as the CEO, obviously she has like, I mean, all of the people around her are going to fill her in on skating. I just, if she had any like gaps or, but I mean, she asked follow-up questions and I'm like, yeah, we're more than happy. I'm more than happy to explain anything in skating. You'd like Tracy, let's do it. I love talking about skating. Um, and so mostly just in my, like, list of um topics would I explain like why I felt that way if it was contextually necessary one thing I wanted to ask you too you mentioned um we were talking about the mixed zone and media and then you also mentioned it in your book a couple of times and actually really resonated with me because I believe I might have been at some of those instances where you were that you mentioned in the book you know after a competition and a mixed zone so um how can members of the media like do a better job of sharing your story, especially as sharing your story after you just competed and not, you know, with knowing that we might not have the whole story. Like, so some of those questions that might've been asked to you um, after an, a competition, we didn't know what you were going through mentally. So how would, a, how does media do better at, you know, sharing your stories? Well, so, I mean, look, there are, like, times in my life and, like, moments in mixed zones or press conferences where, like, there's nothing that the media, like, I just didn't want to be there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that there's nothing, like, I don't think a, a media question from who, again, is, like, mostly a stranger, if not, like, entirely. Um, and if they asked something about mental health, I might have been like, what? Um, but I think... I don't know. Sometimes I want to be like, are there any like more interesting questions? Cause a lot of times it's just the same, whatever. And if it's anything, but like a great perform, I mean, sometimes you can have great sound bites. Um, but again, like, I, I think the option of not having to do the mix zone is really important because yeah, if I had an interesting skate or I had like thoughts about it or a really good one, you know, that's something where your question of like, the how did it feel out there question I've never been a huge fan of, but the, or, but just the like typical, like, um, tell us about your skate. I mean, it's, it's generic, it's open-ended, but it's like, okay, these are my thoughts. Like, I don't necessarily want to tell you how I felt, but I can tell you about how it went. That might include feelings, might not. 
but it's um just some questions they're they're all kind of the same and that they're a little bit uninteresting and look some of that is the nature of like mm -hmm. like reporting in yeah. the mix zone oh, yeah. sometimes i feel like it's just like since i was like been in skating like the questions have never changed they're like the same like three to eight and eights being generous i could probably only come up with like your five typical ones and like that's it and you're never really asked about anything particularly interesting and then sometimes I feel like if you ask a boring question they get a boring answer and sometimes I felt like they like have their recording thing still out like hello like say something interesting and it's like <laughs> ask me something interesting right and I'll give interesting. you ask me yeah. like, oh how was ice skating and you're like good okay <laughs> bad well I mean do you want me to like carry the weight of this interview too or yeah I agree with that because I've heard that in press conferences a lot it's the same questions and I'll even sit there and wait and if one of the the medalists hasn't had a question I'll ask a question because it's like they're all there you want an answer to something interesting then ask an interesting question yeah, like then ask ask something fun like ask yeah. something super random um like maybe do some homework and be like, oh, compared to like the last skate that you did X, Y, and Z at, like, how do you feel about like something that requires maybe some thought instead of, you know, how did you do? How did it feel yeah. out there? Right. Yeah. Um, what are you looking forward to the free program? What are you going to do differently before tomorrow? Put um, the if work anything, in. Yeah. Yeah. Put the work in. All right. In have a great practice. See you tomorrow. That's the whole thing. And it's been that way, like since like my, my first internationals in 2012. Like okay. just, it's the exact same from the exact same people. And yeah, sometimes it's like, again, if you ask a boring question, you're probably going to get a boring answer. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Well, before we wrap up, I, I wanted to get kind of a status check. Um, in the book, you talked about something substantial that happened to you when you were 21 years old and it was reported to Safe Sport. Have you heard from them since your book i i know the book is just released today but i feel like it's gathered steam since um a few folks had gotten an advanced copy have you heard anything on the status of your um complaint to safe sport um i believe that they issued a statement to i don't know if it was in general or just to like the today show but it just kind of talked about like we are so sorry to hear about this like we're looking into like just this huge delay in your case and how it's kind of like I the fact that, I mean, because it's still technically an open case, right. There's only so much that I can elaborate on, you know, like right. what I want to say about it. I put in the book, but also, exactly. um, yeah, they did issue a statement, I believe today, um, that they're going to look into it, but I also have healed from that in my own way. And that ultimately I don't think it would certainly not at this point, like make a difference if there was like a huge step up or not. And that, um, it wasn't going to put my stability and like my healing in the hands of somebody other than myself. Like that was my journey to do. And also, you know, safe sport is now, and now skate safe. Like we've had a lot of like changes in that and their policies and like whatever are constantly changing. Um, so I think that's going to be a wait and see. We have a bunch more questions, but we are, we're, we've run out of <laughs> <Our> time. time. <laughs> I just want to ask you about your cat. 
uh, named Teddy. You went through so much with Teddy, and you named him after a detective from a British TV show. Um, yeah, it's one of my favorite shows called Line of Duty. Yes. Um, and I watched the whole, like, all seven seasons with my boyfriend, James, who's, like, British. And, um, yeah, if, uh, they're not just, like, detectives or cops in England. I want to say it's DI, like, Detective Inspector. But, yeah, yes. um, yeah, um, Ted Hastings, um, great character. He, like, runs IA, um, like, like their version of Internal Affairs. Um, and... Yeah, we really liked him and like as a character and we also kind of like the name Teddy. Um, yeah, that was a very wild uh, and pretty niche experience of treating a cat with FIP. Yes. Uh, that's what you get when you do not shop responsibly and you do not adopt and rescue and instead you um, irresponsible breeding and supporting of that on my part. I just didn't know. And now I do. But he's safe and he's he's with you and James. And that is the important thing. Because sometimes I think um, animals that go through crises like that need to end up in the right home, in the right place to be able to have someone who's willing to fight for them, to help them get better, to recover. And I think what I got from reading your book was you you did everything that you could. And because of it, you still have him and he's adorable. Yeah. And he's surprisingly normal. Um, my favorite part of that whole story was first off just how crazy and like the links that you have to go to, to like treat um, FIP. But also I just thought it was so funny that the first time we took him to a vet, to his vet, like on his medical sheet, like he was diagnosed with anorexia. I was like, yes. that's, hilarious this is definitely my son <laughs> of course and we'd like to thank gracie for taking the time to chat with us today be sure to check out her book out of shape worthless loser that you can get in audio form read by the author herself or pick up a paper copy wherever books are sold yeah, and we, wa we want to thank Gracie for taking time to talk with us. We were very limited on our time with her today, so we would love to have her, as we said, back on the podcast so she can answer some more of our questions. We had a lot of questions we didn't really even get to touch upon because, again, she was limited. She's busy running around to various media outlets today. So, Yeah, we're definitely grateful that she spoke with us and wish her the best as she continues uh, promoting her book. Uh, Gina, can you let folks know where they can find us? You can find us at our website. It's thisweekinskating.com on social media, including the site formerly known as Twitter at thiswkinskating, Facebook, Instagram, and threads. It's thisweekinskating. We love your feedback or your questions. You can reach out to us on social media or email us at thisweekinskating at gmail.com. If you're enjoying our episodes, please consider joining our community on Patreon at patreon.com slash thisweekinskating. That brings us to the end of our episode. Thanks everyone for listening. I'm Daphne. And I'm Gina. And you've been listening to This Week in Skating. Have an ice week! Ice week!